insight and awareness spiritual explorer, soul intuitive, emotional and spiritual mentor and award-winning author, Lorraine Nylon. Welcome explorers to the Insight and Awareness Spiritual Explorers podcast. I'm your host Lorraine Nylon and today I have the privilege of talking to Amanda Quick, an international best-selling author and a quantum energy healer and coach. And in 2016, Amanda's world turned upside down and we're going to hear all about that. Thanks for being here, Amanda. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and it's exciting. So you've written a book, The Mm -hmm. Sex Trafficker's Wife, which is a heading that is a bit of a showstopper straight away. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, would you like to tell us about A, your book, and um, B, the the recount of the story behind it? Yeah. So in 2016, I was a stay-at-home mom. I had three young children, you know, picture-perfect life, or so I thought. And one day my husband doesn't come home from work, and I can't find him. And about five o'clock in the morning, I finally found him in jail. He had been arrested for attempted human trafficking with a $250,000 bond. Right. And I hadn't, I didn't even know what those charges meant. Like it was that much of a shock to me. I thought there was some mistake. Somebody had stolen his wallet. There was some other explanation. I was in such a state of shock that I, I couldn't even wrap my head around what was happening in my world. Yeah, well, that is an unfathomable, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, what eventually I learned was that he was caught in a sting operation. And the sting operation was to offer children for sex. And he showed up and was arrested shortly thereafter. And so, I mean, that's where the name of the book comes from, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, when I tell people... My ex-husband was arrested for attempted human trafficking. That's that's a what? Um, but he he wasn't selling people. He was purchasing, basically. It's funny because your head goes to, you know, yes. loading them into a... And that's where my head went when I yeah. first heard that. Like, I was like, shipping containers? Like, yes, yes. orders? What? Yeah. You know, we lived in this tiny little Colorado town. Like, it didn't make, didn't make sense. Right. And, you know, people don't understand that human trafficking is about buying or selling people for any purpose. And yes, there's the moving around of it portion of it, but there's also the actual purchase and, and, and that perspective that if people are not willing participants, then it's considered trafficking. Yeah, for sure. Or if they're minors, obviously. I I was going to say, because the first thing you'd be getting your head up is a, he's going out and buying and C, you know, like B it's, it's children. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. And so I was in so much shock and so much disbelief and so much, none of it made sense to me. And it wasn't who I knew him to be. It wasn't my life. It was, and I, and he had a very different story of what happened. And so I, I couldn't even fathom it could be real. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand this part, but I, I stayed in the marriage because I believed him over what was directly in front of my face because of all of the trauma that I was in. Yeah, it is a trauma response, you know, and especially when um, you have a disconnect from what is actually reality and what you believe. And what people don't understand there is a big process to catch up with reality. 
Mm. It is. And it, and it, it actually took me years. Yeah. And you know, I had, I also That's had trauma. Not uncommon. From, That's not uncommon. It's not. And I actually had trauma from my own dad not being in my life. And I had this belief that it was my, I had to make sure I kept him in my children's life. And then that, that was doing them a service and keeping them safe because I didn't want them to go through the pain that I went through when I was a teenager. And so I had it all, I had it a lot backwards because I couldn't, I couldn't see clearly. And I believed that my kids were going to be okay if they had their dad in their lives. And then, then I would be okay instead of making sure that I was okay so that they would be okay. Everything so, I was thinking was backwards. Yeah. And, and, and that's pretty normal too. So when you're in that process of trying to convince yourself that this isn't mm -hmm. real, in your thought process, was this a, a waking thought of debating that or you just had locked into... I didn't even, it literally didn't even occur to me to do anything else. Like people ask, like, why did you stay? I was like, I didn't even, it didn't even cross my mind that I could do anything else. Like it, it I was so hyper-focused on protecting my family and going, moving forward one foot in front of the other. I was just a girl on a mission to keep everybody connected and together and okay, it, it didn't even cross my mind that there was another option. So is he telling you that he wasn't? Yes. Okay. So he, his story was that he had been soliciting escorts his entire adult life, basically. And so he admitted to cheating on me, which I had zero emotional response to, again, in a complete state of shock at this point. Trauma and, response, yeah. But there was no admittance. He was like, I would never do anything with kids. That's I, I was trying to figure out if it was real so I could report it and I could help them. Like that was his story. Oh, okay. And, and so he was basically saying, yes, I, I mean, obviously. Now we're the kindest person out there and I was helping these people. And I was trying to help children. them. And mm. I would never do that and all of these stories. And, you know, I'm trying to grasp onto anything I can. And, mm. you know, I knew him to be hyper-focused and got to figure out the puzzle. And so it's somewhere in my mind, I made it made sense. Like, okay, that sort of seemed fathomable because the other option wasn't. Yeah. And so I proceeded with, okay, well, we'll deal with, clearly we've got a sex addiction here and we'll deal with that later. But now we need to just deal with the criminal case and get through that because, you know, that was my focus. And, and I basically shoved down any potential feelings, any potential thoughts mm -hmm. about addressing any of what was actually happening so that I could just play the supportive wife. Which is hard work. Yes. Yes. Especially with three young children and, you know, all of that, because they were, they were one, four and five at the time. So, you know, it was, my hands were already full. Let alone did did you find you were displaying sort of what you would consider erratic behaviors doing making decisions that you wouldn't normally did you find that you didn't recognize yourself in that period or is it just so numbed out and just i was really truly numb it was just get through each day just get the kids fed get them to their preschools or their activities or whatever. And I was so shut off. I, I isolated myself completely from everybody. I disconnected all social media. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to, you know, I was so shut off. And the, and the only safe person to talk to about what was happening was my husband himself, because yeah. he, he was the only one who could possibly understand what I was going through. And so I began to isolate myself from everybody except the person who caused the trauma. Yeah. And we formed a very deep trauma bond. And I didn't understand what that was, but it only made my desire to 
help him even stronger because he was my safety net. Yeah. And, you know, he not only was, you know, for most of our marriage, my financial supporter, but he was the only person who could understand the, the weight of what was happening. And, and so it became, it became about making sure that we got it through it together and stay connected together. And it got to the point where we were literally on the phone 24 seven. Like I couldn't, because he couldn't be around the children at first. He, he was in my ear. I couldn't have a thought without him being there. If I started to get upset, it was immediately, I'm a changed person. He'd, he'd show up with presents in the mailboxes and all the love bombing things all over the place because, you know, he was terrified that I was going to see the truth in some other way and, and leave. And, and so it became about hyper-focusing on keeping us as a, as a couple. Yeah. That's a, and that's a lot to process when you come out of the fog. Yes. <laughs> yes, she smiles. Yes, <laughs> yes Lorraine, that's a lot. <laughs> and and then it, how, how did you cope with that? When you, you know, well, like eventually that fog, fog is going to lift. It fog lifts. And honestly, that was probably one of the harder parts to write about and to talk about. And the part that I held the most shame for the, for the longest time mm. was how deep of a trauma bond we'd formed and what that meant our relationship looked like and how much I was ignoring what was in front of my face. And, you know, because people are, people are shocked when they hear what he was arrested for. And then they're even more shocked to hear that I stayed and that we continued our relationship. Like the, mm. the just the amount of instant judgment that hits, you know, brings all of that back up and the, well, how could you have? And, you know, people who don't understand trauma bonding and, and all of that, have no idea. And it's, it's taken me a long time to understand what that was and what that meant. And, you know, and then it does take years to see the truth. And, and for me, it took not only years, but it took a big, a, a big thing happening, seeing my own kids in danger that actually shifted it for me. Okay. So was he abusing the kids or? So he, after, after, so he only got four years of probation and, um, the, in Colorado, the constitutional right to parent meant that also meant he had full access to his children once he pled guilty. Mm -hmm. So he moved back into the house and we thought we were going to resume, resume our life. And pretty, pretty quickly, I, within six months to a year, I started to realize I couldn't stay in the marriage. Mm -hmm. I couldn't stay in the marriage. I, there was ghosts in the room every time. There was just clearly, it felt like there were all these other people that he'd been with around and I couldn't, I couldn't release that anymore. And so we started to separate. And when we started to separate, that's when I saw the mental health stuff really spike for him. And I started to see the manipulations for what they were. I started to see everything as a boundary violation and his refusal to, you know, honor my, my needs and everything was, you know, he was the victim in every single situation. And after we started to separate, uh, my kids' behavior started to get worse and started to change. And he, it first started out with just parental alienation, and this was all mommy's fault, and mommy won't forgive daddy, and that's why we're not together, and those kind of things. But then it started to shift to my middle son started to get sexually inappropriate with me, like trying to kiss me inappropriately. Um, and then it. How old was he? Six, seven. Uh, yeah. Um. And then he says, as I'm dropping him off to school one day, sometimes I suck on daddy's fingers. And I was like, what the, what? Mm -hmm. um, and of course, all of it starts crashing down in front of me. Like, oh, hello. He was arrested for trying to have sex with a 14 year old. How do you not see this? Like it's been in front of your face the whole time. Yeah. But 
I couldn't see it until I could. And I started to realize that my kids were in danger. And, you know, I started to feel completely helpless at that point in time because of the fact I had supported him. The court system doesn't understand trauma. They don't understand what that looks like. And so I essentially had to prove that my children were in danger now. And his previous offense wasn't actually relevant to the custody case because there's a belief that your own children's relationship is different. And so I had to then go through an 18 month long $75,000 custody fight to prove that my kids were in danger and to fight that to protect my kids. And it was, it was the fight of my life and it was not easy. And, you know, despite all of that, it took a huge shift in me to actually make a difference in that fight because I had to get to the point where I no longer was giving my power to the system as a victim of the system to fix it for me. Because a lot of people are like, why isn't the system protecting us? The system is not designed to protect us. The system is only designed to be punitive if you can prove it. And, you know, our roles as parents is to protect our children and we can use the system, but we have to be the ones driving the bus, not the other way around. And I had to learn that. And I had to recognize that, there was more people who could help me and there was more that I could do. And it, it actually sent me on a whole spiritual awakening because I was guided to see a, a psychic and I had never done that before. <laughs> I thought that was crazy. And I started to understand why I was so terrified of him and why I was holding all these emotions and the pattern that had been repeating for lifetimes. And all of a sudden I started to understand more about what was happening and this opportunity that I had to choose differently. Yeah. Right. And, And so, you know, what unfolded was nothing short of miraculous once I got that, once I stood into that place and I started to get more data and more information and, and I was able to prove my case in a way that most people don't get to prove their cases. Most people end up sharing custody with their abusers and their children's abusers. And that's a really hard reality that a lot of people are living. And it's a big part of why I wrote my, wrote the book is to inspire people that you have a choice. And we get to choose to stop those patterns. Well, it makes it hard too because if, if you know, like, you know, it costs you 75000 mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, so so a lot of people with no resources. Exactly. No, yeah, they've got nowhere to go. So it, it's um, it's a complex problem. It is. Yeah. It is. And, it I, is and it struck me that as a upper middle class, privileged, white, educated, full of resources woman, that it was still – a very hard fight despite yeah. having those resources oh because while you're going through that you're also going through the the break i call it the cracking where yeah. the the belief systems the control structures the fears all the rest of it are bundled up and all of a sudden there's a cracking so there's like you know like a volcano of different stuff coming out and then you're looking back at your history with a different filter so yes. all of a sudden these things that you and, and this is normal, this is what you know, this happens to everyone that's coming out of some form of trauma. And it and it can be the little like not no trauma's little, but you know, if you say with living with a narcissist and it's mm-hmm. it's just, you know, constant little comments and comments and comments. And then you get to this place and you look back and then all of a sudden you realise what those comments are really about. Because you're not putting the filter of trying to make it okay over the top of it. Yeah. 
And that's exactly. a hard, that is a very hard place to be and it's an extremely hard place to be if you're also fighting a legal system. It is. And I, at that point, was diagnosed with PTSD. I was having panic attacks all the time. You know, I was I was full in it at that point while also trying to figure out how to take back my power and stand in my truth and fight for my kids. And so there was a there was a lot going on. And it I recognized that I not only had to have the money to start to have the fight, but I had to have a huge mental and emotional shift to stand in that place and to, and to do so not as a victim and as somebody fully empowered to have the fight to prove that her kids were in danger so that I, I, I could show the world that this was not okay. And, you know, that is, that is what I did. And, you know, I have, I have dreams about starting a nonprofit so that I can help people with the, the financial aspect of it, but even more so getting to the point where they can make that shift too, because, the money wasn't what saved me. It was just a piece of it. I needed yes, the money to yes. start to have the fight, yes, but yes. the money wasn't actually what made the difference. And what do you think was the hardest part for you? What What was that moment where within that cracking that mm-hmm. you just went, ah, oh, like what was that, uh, like would we say aha moment where you just, your denial just crumbled? Um. So I is one of the things that I got as evidence is I got the case file unsealed. And so I got to actually see the truth of what happened back in 2016. And because people don't realize in criminal cases, we don't get the evidence. Like that's, that is sealed from the public, especially if it's ever going to go to trial. You know, a lot of family doesn't even actually hear what happens until they're sitting in trial, but because it didn't go to trial, I didn't even get the information then. And so I, I got a hold of the district attorney and they have to redact a bunch of things before it becomes accessible by the public. And and he agreed to do that for me, making it now public record. But once I was able to read the, the text transcript back and forth between him and the undercover agent, I got it. Like I really got it. And I saw somebody who I had been intimate with, had three children with, and it was like I could see... I could see the underlying energy. I could feel it. I I knew some of his preferences. I I married the man, had three kids with him. Like I, I knew what was there, and I and I saw it right in front of my face. And I could feel that. And then obviously replaying everything that happened over the last yeah. ten years at that point in my head. And it was like, holy crap! Like, what am I gonna do now? You know, <laughs> as I'm still having to send my children back over there four times a week, trading custody around. And, you know, the things that my children are saying and I'm having to like, I'm I'm having to live it and recognize that more, I have to have enough evidence to prove my case, but I'm really toting this line going, I don't, I really don't want it to get any worse, but I still have to be able to prove my case. And so it was a very difficult place to be in. For sure. And so the children have no contact with him now or where? where? No. So in March of 2020, my divorce was finalized and the final order gave him one last opportunity if he did a bunch of different things and a bunch of disclosures and had a bunch of new evaluations that he could have a partial physical custody, but I had full decision-making regardless. And if he didn't do those things, then he was basically given only supervised visitation and he did not a single one. And so there has been no contact he has chosen not to exercise supervised visitation. He hasn't emailed, called, texted, paid a dime of child support since April of 2020. We've had zero contact. So once once he lost control, 
which happens in a lot of these situations where he completely lost control. He didn't get decision-making, which is often how they, they like to use to control the other parent. And once that was gone, he basically stepped out. Right. There you go. It's, it's, um, is it, and it's fascinating to watch that as well because, you know, he puts in a good fight while he thinks he's going to win. And then you, so, so what it does is you realize it's not about the children. It's, it's about not. the win. So it is. It's about the win. It's about the control over me, essentially. And once that was gone, once it was, I had full decision making either way, didn't matter. You had to continue to show up and, you know, be a good human in, for the, in the court's eyes. He just said, never mind. But, you know, as any healthy parent, you would do anything to see your kids, even for a little bit, if that's what it took. Yeah, that's right. You take the supervised visits. You, to you would, take, to you would do them. anything. You would yeah. do anything and work on anything so that you can have them keep the relationship with your children. And, you know, it's it's sad on one hand. And on the other hand, I'm eternally grateful for the gift of peace and quiet and the ability to heal from all of these things. Because, you know, if he was still in our in our lives, I certainly couldn't be telling the story today. True. And, and are the children going well? They're doing so much better. I mean, they're seven, 10 and 12 now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thankfully things never got worse. They never got past the grooming stage. And it was really mostly my middle child. And, you know, there's definitely the trauma of a loss of a parent, which is its own thing. Mm -hmm. And there's yeah. been lots and lots of conversations around his choices that he made, knowing the consequences of his actions and that his mental illnesses and he, is choosing not to get the help that he needs. Like there's been lots of those conversations, which are really important because, you know, as my, through my own childhood, I didn't know the details of why my dad couldn't be around. And I think it's really important to not, you know, we're not villainizing the other parent, but we are being honest about what's, what's going on and, and blame needs to be placed where it's, where it's due. Mm -hmm. And they don't, I don't ever want to think it's their fault or anything yeah. they did and or anything I did really, because, it's not about, it's not about us. And, you know, what I didn't know that was going to happen in, you know, 2020 was COVID. So two weeks after my divorce was final, COVID hit <laughs> and everything. <laughs> the in the game world changer. Well, and it, it couldn't have been more divine timing because there was no quarantine with him. It was all, all of a sudden, everything was just done and they were home with me and we got the opportunity to heal together as a family because my work was home, their school was home, everybody was just, you know, we were just home all of a sudden. And so it, it really gave us that opportunity to change, the, you know, and to be, to reconnect. And, you know, we left, we left Colorado in September of 2021 and we've really started over and, you know, they're in a new school. I've recently remarried. I have a new husband. They have a new stepdad they have a wonderful relationship with him. You know, things are, things are very different now. Oh, that's good. And how did you like? Were you were you glad to move from the the area that knew yes. the? I knew, the, I knew in twenty twenty once he basically stepped out of our lives that all of a sudden it was like wait I don't I don't need to be here anymore I didn't have family there um, I left my corporate job in August of twenty twenty because staying home full time with kids trying to work it was just it was too much and I realized there was nothing tying me to Colorado anymore. And it was very clear that we were going to need to move, but I also didn't, wasn't urgent. It just was needing to, to some point. And so it was really a, where, where in the world do we want to be? Yeah. <laughs> and 
um, you know, and sitting with that and, you know, really wanting to find support and a community for me in a different way, because, you know, Asia, as a, as a then solo parent of three children, you know, it's a whole, whole different ball game. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, and I was, you know, I didn't, the, the town we were in was like 20,000 people. I didn't want to run into somebody one day or, and his family was there and they also have chosen to step out of our lives. Yeah. And so, you know, it was really about finding a place where we could breathe and relax and start over and create a new experience for ourselves. I had a client once that had a, a her, one of her family members did something horrific and then she said then the world changed her whispers. So every time she walked past, she would see people yeah. lean in together and go, pss, 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 pss. Yeah. so she said the world, that's what the world sounded to me then. Because she said well, that. And- and that's true. You know, the, in that town, it was very public knowledge. It was articles in the paper. Anybody who knew me or him knew what happened. And I didn't need my kids growing up with that, you know, with their teachers and friends. Like, I didn't need them finding out the really gory details in middle school. Like, I didn't, that wasn't helpful. And no. yes, I've now published a book and made it more public in some, in some regards. But, you know, it's not attached to them in the same way. Yeah, it kind of does, it changes it because it takes it to a different place. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and then and it also the the book also says we're not ashamed of this, but this is what exactly. happened. So it's kind of a declaration in a way. Exactly. Uh, and it's very popular, so people want to read the story. They do. <laughs> they do. They and the resounding comments that I have gotten is I picked it up and I could not put it down. So. Uh, it's very much a page turner and people are reading it in a day because they can't put it down. So, uh, you know, I never really knew if I was a good writer or not, but <laughs> you know, it's really nice to hear it. It's Said like a writer. Really, that's, that's an author. I never really know. I, well, I didn't, right? Yeah, I yeah. Go yeah. ah. <laughs> <laughs> ahead, story to tell. Um, you know, but people really go on the journey with me and they, they, they have to keep reading to know what happens. And so that's and do, and do you still have nightmares and things like that about it i don't right i don't um i've done a ton of work so as part of you know awakening to the reality of the more in our universe i jumped into learning everything i could about energy healing and you know truths of the universe and i started to recognize that there's so much more to this experience and my perspective shift so so drastically and you know, realize how much we get to be the conscious creators of our reality, and that these experiences happen for us on for some reason. And you know, I've really done a ton of work to release the shame and the guilt and the judgment that I've held for so long. And you know, there there was for a while some underlying fear, like is, is he going to show back up? Is there something going to happen? And you know, that was the kind of last lingering pieces. And putting my book out there in a very public way is me saying. I'm not letting fear stop me. You know, I'm, I'm not, I refuse to not share this story because of some maybes, because the reality is it's been three years and it wouldn't go anywhere, even if you tried. Yeah. No, oh, good. That's good. So, so it says, you know, like you're a quantum healer, mm-hmm. sorry, quantum energy healer. What does that actually mean? Like what, what so, what that means is, you know, I'm not a licensed therapist by any means, but mm-hmm. that I work within the different energy bodies. So the way that I see our experience is more than just 
the physical experience of it. Either we have the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, and, and our soul level experience. And, and so I work with every single layer, level and layer to help somebody shift their reality, to recognize that our experience is many multifaceted and it comes from not just this lifetime, but it comes from other lifetimes and other childhood experiences. And we can use the various realms of reality to actually understand it and to shift mm -hmm. it and to say like, okay, I'm not going to hold on to these patterns anymore and actually use those energy bodies to help us release it. Um, and so depending on what, what people are doing or what they're trying to create, you know, sometimes it's trauma healing and sometimes it's creation because it's all spectrums, whether we're going past, present or future. But when we work within the quantum realm, we get to time isn't time isn't relevant in the same way. And we get to access it all as if it's right now and really get to choose. Mm. And I think too, when you are trying to heal, you've got to get to that point of understanding. Yes. And there's, lo and there's lots of levels of that understanding. Yes. So you start understanding a little bit, you start opening your eyes up to another little bit, and then you start, yes. you know, I always say it's like putting the jigsaw together is that you start yeah. putting the pieces together to get the bigger picture. And once you understand a bigger picture, that's when you actually, it's your understanding that releases it. It is. It's yeah. the awareness and the, the acceptance and the release of the judgment of it. And you're all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I understand why this experience was created and I understand what I was doing and I understand that I get to choose differently. Yeah. And I was, I'm always careful with, um, people that have been through trauma with the the statement of like this is happening for you it's sometimes mm -hmm. you've walked into something you know like yes. so so it's not because of you it's not it's no. not because of your karma you've walked into something like you had no idea that your yes. husband was you know had this yes. other other world going on think very be very careful about that because that can sometimes throw people back into the i should well, have known then you know, things. exactly. And yeah. and at some point you get to the understanding that, you know, this experience was presented for you as an opportunity on some level and for lessons and learnings. But when you're in it, when you're really in it, you can't feel that. You just think it's the most horrible thing in the world. And, you know, as somebody who has been there and can and can really compassionately understand that, you know, you have to you do have to be careful of where they are and what they are able to hear at the, that point at in that time. Point, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the goal is to get the perspective as they start to come out of it so that they have those ahas and they can say, oh, wait a minute, yeah. I'm starting to see this differently. Yeah, and, and once once you get their head around reality, it's like you're here now, right? You know, yeah. like so So it, it doesn't matter how it happened, you're here now. Okay, let's exactly. start from there. Which is, exactly. you know, coming out of those particular types of um experiences are major because you're breaking down everything that you thought was real is yes. actually crumbling around you and that and then there's a rebuild that has to start from there which is really about learning how to trust yourself because you're trusting you in your own yes perception changes greatly exactly yeah exactly yeah exactly and and that's you know, a big underlying message and theme throughout my book is I had to learn how to trust myself again when I came out of that. And I had to recognize I had been receiving these messages the whole time. I just hadn't been listening. Mm -hmm. And and all of a sudden choosing my inner guidance over everybody else. Yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. And, and the interesting thing is, is that one of the things that 
um, we do when we look backwards, and we're all prone to this, is that we forget by going through the experience that we have created those new filters. Mm -hmm. So when we're in it, we don't have those filters. We don't have that awareness. We're not looking for any of that because it's not on the radar. But right. when you, you, you know, when you come through the other side of it, they're on the radar, you know, and then and that's the filter you're looking through. So it's easier to see. But a lot of people beat themselves up. And, it, you know, sometimes we see it, but like, like what you said earlier, you want to protect something. Yes. So you, you justify it in your head as a protection. Exactly. Oh, and yeah. it's, it is a protection to keep you safe in that moment. Mm. And there's, there's really no wrongness to keeping yourself safe in those moments. Like that's what our human bodies are designed to do is to keep us safe. Exactly. And, you know, we can't, we can't blame ourselves or beat ourselves up for the choices we made with the information we had when we were in those places. Yeah. And the you emotional know? state you're in, in exactly. those places. Like we're going to give giving, ourselves some some grace because mm -hmm. when you're traumatized a lot of different things are going to happen exactly and and forgiving ourselves for the choices we made back then and and really recognizing that who we were isn't who we are now and you know looking looking back on ourselves with with grace and compassion yeah so our big question to everyone is how what do what do you think what does humanity need to acknowledge and understand to explore, um, to evolve? Well, you know, I've been asked sometimes, like, you know, if I could give one, one gift to the world, like if I could sprinkle pixie dust all over the planet <laughs> and just, and truly the one big gift I would give to the world is that everybody trusted themselves and operated from that place first. Like if people stopped giving their power away to the system and stopped believing, you know, all of the systems and structures that were put into place and really listened to their inner guidance and, you know, became the soul led beings that we all know we can be, mm. things would change very, very quickly. And people would stop, you know, listening to the news and the media and they would really like, okay, we want to change. Let's go do something. And, and I, and I would love to see more people stepping into that version of their power. Yeah, that's a good answer. And it is, it is interesting once you start looking at yourself from a soul perspective, it changes a lot of things. It does. Yeah. It really and, does. And, what, and what, what would be your greatest change besides trusting yourself? What, what have you noticed in yourself? Um, I mean, the biggest thing besides, like, obviously, there's the trust in this, trusting yourself piece, but it's also... Uh, I know the the big, okay. So as far as what I've noticed in myself, when I realized that I could create this amazing reality for myself, like I succeeded at the impossible. The majority of people share custody with their abusers and their children's abusers. That's the reality out there. And I created a reality where I actually created safety and security for myself and my kids. And when I got it, that I did that, it wasn't, it wasn't my angels. Like, you know, I certainly yeah. had help, but it was something I did. I created that. I, I felt unstoppable. Like if I did that, I can do anything. And that, that level of power that I felt within myself, that shift that I could not only create safety and security, but I could, I could do anything in my life gave me this, this just amazing new awareness of what could be possible. And I started chasing other things that I wanted and I started chasing connection and community. And then I 
you know, the only kid-free weekend I'd had in two years, I met my now husband. Like, you know, these amazing synchronicities got to take place because I operated from a different place. And I started really focusing on what mattered. Because if we trust ourselves and we trust ourselves to always keep ourselves safe, no matter what, we can, we can stop focusing on having to chase money or having to chase, you know, whatever the thing we think that's going to make us happy. And we can instead focus on what really does matter for us. And, you know, in, in some of my work, I talk about the gravity of our consciousness and the weight of the experience and what we place that importance on is what comes to us and really digging deep and finding out what really does matter to you and focusing on that. That's a, that's a good answer. And, for, and, you, and that, that is that it's a really good answer because what you're saying is your shift went from, you know, the, the way society tells me how I should live, you know, yes. wife, children, house, work, blah, 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 to, exactly. okay, what really matters to me, what's important mm-hmm. to me. Yes, so, exactly. And not in a not in a selfish way, but in a, in a way that's saying this is my life and I'm going to come from that place in me that needs fulfilling. Because that's yes. why we chase the, the bigger car, the bigger house, the, the, the image, but it doesn't never feeds the soul. No, no. it doesn't. It's the, the money doesn't make happy, right? Like that's not, that's not how this all actually works. It's what we think is going to make us happy. But if we can find purpose, if we can actually meet our soul's desire of what we're here to do in the world, that brings the happiness and the fulfillment. Yeah, very good. Well, I'm glad that you've landed on your feet so well after all the things that you've experienced. And I'm sorry that you had to experience all that, you know, like it's a, mm-hmm. it's, um, but if we take anything out of it, the strength that you feel within yourself has, has, has gained, it's like you've gained a new understanding of your own natural value. Yes, and, and exactly. worth and significance. Yeah, exactly. Which isn't tied exactly. to anything by you. So, no, well, that's no, something exactly. to be very proud of. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, would you like to play flip the book? Sure. Okay. So, would you you can choose between one, two, or three? We've got three books. I yes. need number three. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is actually interesting. We only use the back part of this book because it's actually breaking free, which is written for um, pedophilic abuse victims. and Yeah, very interesting. And um, carers, you know, and people that are advocates for them. Mm-hmm. But at the back of the book, which is going to be in another book as soon as I get myself organised, is um, what we call core essences. So we just work with the back end of the book. So and this is about your soul. So could you give me a number between 189 and 215? 192. 192. So you have the choice of one, two, three, or four paragraphs. Which paragraph would you like? Two. Two, which is caring. So these are like... The essence of your soul, what's in within your soul. Caring means you embrace taking responsibility for nurturing the exploration of your own natural significance and the significance of others. We'll class it as your children. This facilitates being committed to respecting truth and the free will of other souls, which allows your acceptance of freedom to grow. Caring invites grace for yourself as you unshackle the chains of oppression that caused you to neglect yourself. 
Care creates an intention to develop an awareness of your soul. Samja? Well, how fitting. Yes. <laughs> what what sentence stood out for you? The the unshackle, the yeah. allowing yourself to unshackle and caring for you know yourself. Like that's the realization is that nobody gets to abandon you but you. You know, nobody mm. gets to come save you but you. And when we allow our, when we, we unshackle ourselves, we, we start to recognize that on some level we were, we were allowing the experience because we knew we had a lesson in the learning and it's not a, it's not a wrongness. It's not a bad thing, but we get to choose differently when we have that awareness and we get to unshackle ourselves and we get to use that experience to help other people and to recognize that, you know, there's, there's beauty in every single person. Yeah. And I, I do, my understanding is um, not all souls, but there are some souls that have a lot, like this particular life, They I call them they have it, no rock unturned sort of mentality. So they're coming to do the big stuff. They want, they want yes. like pure evolution. There's other souls that are coming here to experience. There's others that are coming here, you know, I call it reconnaissance and all the rest of it. But if you've got in your blueprint you know the no rock unturned you're going to find you're going to have these massive unfathomable sort of experiences sometimes because that's how you're going to dredge up all the stuff that's yes. hidden in your um emotional baggage so and i literally use the words leave no stone left unturned in my oh book, do you so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's, it's definitely me um that's definitely I've always been a trigger person. I've always been big change. I've always, I've always been that kind of person. And so on some level, yes, that was part of, it's part of what I'm here to do. And mm. I can see that now and I don't have to hold judgment over the experience. I can go, okay, I've got a big story. What am I going to do with it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and you did the best, the brilliant thing you did about it is that you learned about yes. yourself within it. Well, very very proud of you, actually. So thank um, you. Yes, <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's a big thing, and a lot of people don't, um, through no fault of their own, um, you know, because a lot of things go into it. The you know, good support mm -hmm. um, and a good attitude to be able to look at things and say, okay, what can yeah. I learn about myself? And and taking self responsibility in trauma is an extremely hard thing to do but it is the best and easiest way, which sounds like a contradiction, to walk free of it. It because is. Because until you do, that that victimhood stuff's going to hold that trauma and yep. those traumatic experiences as a part of your self-definition, which exactly. is, yeah, that, there's, no, there's no fun in that. No, and I mean it's it's not your fault and yet you get to be the one to choose to come out of it. Yeah, and, and, and even for people on the sidelines, you know, like we should learn a little bit more of not jumping in there with judgment. Yes. And, and because unless you've walked in those shoes, the old saying, you don't know how you're going to respond and you never know what's around the corner. Exactly. You know, like, you know, you had no idea that, was, that, that storm was coming to your door. So No. Well, thank you, Amanda, for being on the um, podcast and I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.